Lasso. So we'll go right back to the practice, but as a prelude to that, it's good to ask a question periodically. Is whatever practice when we're doing, is it Dharma? Is it Dharma? And what makes a practice Dharma? If you say Omari Pemehum, is that Dharma? Or if you watch your breath or if you visualize a Buddha image, is that Dharma? Mindfulness of breathing, as an example, may or may not be Dharma. I could easily imagine a basketball player, for example, a professional basketball player who has a, a, a free throw, you know, has been fouled and has a free throw, before tossing the ball up, doing a little bit of a little bit of mindfulness of breathing before throwing the ball. Why not? It can be very good for accuracy and so forth. But that's not Dharma, that's just a little attention exercise or a relaxation exercise in order to get a ball into a little hoop, uh, which is ethically neutral, nothing wrong or good about it. And so likewise, this could be a relaxation technique, which is fine, but it's not dharma. Uh, it could be for all kinds of motivations. One could even imagine malevolent motivations. Maybe you're breathing so you can be a good sniper and kill somebody. So it all really does depend on motivation. The simple fact that you're following your breath doesn't mean that you're engaging any spiritual practice at all. Right? It all depends on motivation. And so then, well, what kind of motivation? It's not just kind of one or another, or simply virtuous versus neutral. But I spoke yesterday about this quite awesome uh, possibility of fully achieving bodhicitta, so that it arises spontaneously, effortlessly, when entered as a path, becomes a bodhisattva, and remains a bodhisattva for all future lifetimes until you're a Buddha. Uh, very awesome, very magnificent, incredibly meaningful. And for some, we may feel that such achievement, based upon the full achievement of shamatha and then bodhicitta, may be a bit out of reach in this lifetime, especially if we're start, starting rather late in life, don't really anticipate in the foreseeable future being able to spend a lot of time in retreat, in which case we, one might feel a little bit disheartened. Think about well, it very well if you're 20 years old, you have no children, no spouse, and so forth, no job. Uh, but if, you really, if we do have a lot of obligations in the world, one may feel, well, that's really not within reach. So it could be a bit dark, disheartening, right? Well, the good news is, establish a motivation. Establish the motivation to the best of your ability. This motivation, which I really quite do, do think uh, is the most sublime of all motivations, the aspiration to achieve the, the greatest possible state of spiritual realization, of awakening, of fully unveiling the full capacity of our consciousness, awareness, in terms of these sublime virtues such as compassion and wisdom, in order to be of greatest possible service to the world. Right? So maybe there's a higher motivation than that, something more noble, more sublime, but I, I don't know that, what that would be. But there's bodhicitta. And so it's never too early to start practicing bodhicitta. You don't need to think, oh, I don't think I'm quite ready for that yet. Uh, never too early, because after all, we could die today, and it would be really a shame. Gishing Amantaike mentioned this. It would really be a really shame if you postpone bodhicitta and then you died before you even started. And so, why not? You know, people here, people listening by podcast, if this strikes you as a very meaningful motivation, possibly the most meaningful possible motivation, then it's not only the motivation that could inspire you to go into a three retreat or a one or two year shamatha retreat or what have you. It can be your motivation every time you sit down for 15 minutes or 20 minutes to practice mindfulness of breathing. And in fact, for any type of meaningful endeavor, including preparing a meal, taking care of your children, going to work, if it's meaningful work, if it's wholesome work, then actually that motivation 
can be your current that holds, to get, holds together the entire day for all meaningful activity. For neutral activity, if you're really tired, you need to relax a little bit, watching something on television that's not harmful to the mind, you can do that with bodhicitta. You can take a nap with bodhicitta. Right? You can drive to the store to get some milk with bodhicitta. Really. Anything is not non-virtuous. You can do it with the motivation of bodhicitta. And certainly this. So I would say mindfulness of breathing all by itself, unrelated to any motivation, ethically neutral. It may be healthy, it may be good for you, but ethically neutral. Um, but as soon as the a wholesome motivation, a positive or virtuous motivation comes in, then that's what makes it, motiv uh, makes it positive, virtuous. And then if you bring to it, if that which actually arouses you, provides you with the incentive, the motivation, to engage in the practice and continue in the practice, if it actually is the aspiration to achieve Buddhahood, perfect enlightenment for the sake of all sentient beings, then that is a current that flows through every minute of your practice. And that means every minute of your practice. And that's including times you're a little bit wobbly, you're getting a little bit of excitation, a bit of laxity and dullness and so forth. We don't expect it to be perfect. But if bodhicitta is your motivation, then every moment of the practice is leading you on that path. Right? And then if this is a motivation you keep on coming back to every morning, every session, every kind of endeavor, at the beginning of every kind of endeavor, if you keep on coming back to that motivation, and then, as Atisha says in the seven-point mind training, at the beginning establish motivation, at the end dedicate merit. So whenever you come to the conclusion of a practice or the conclusion of a day, if you look back on anything virtuous, anything wholesome, meaningful that you've done throughout the course of the day, and you dedicate the virtue, the goodness, the merit of that to that same aspiration to achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings, then that's where it's going. It's really like investing in a, in a, in a fund. You know, all of your money is going into a particular fund. It, it accrues interest, it grows, it grows, and grows. And if you've been doing that, you know, even if you're starting age 60 or 70, and you start doing that and you're doing it continuously you know, for the last months or years of your life, then that's establishing a real current. And, of course, you're investing in something you will, in, in all likelihood, not realize the fulfillment of in this lifetime. But this means you've kind of deposited your investment in an account in the future. And that motivation right there, that will connect you from lifetime to lifetime. It's called leto, leftover karma. To means something left over. And le is karma, leto. And that is you've aspired to do something that you haven't been able to do yet. Right? And that is, gosh, I haven't achieved perfect Buddhahood yet. I guess I have some unfinished business. That's what it means. Unfinished business. And so if this is your business, if you're in the business of achieving enlightenment, the enlightenment of a Buddha, and you die before it's done, then you have some karma left over. It's unfinished business karma that carries you through the bardo and carries you to the next life. And if you've led, led an ethical way of life, it's that, ethical, and you have a motivation that keeps on coming and coming and coming from day to day to day of bodhicitta, then the prospects are very good. Even without yet having achieved shamatha and, and you know, fully spontaneous bodhicitta and so forth, that's where you have literally invested your life, your time, your energy, your aspirations, your hopes and aspirations. And so that's it. That really is the most important the aspiration, the most important thing. Eventually, when we can gain high realization of bodhicitta, realization of emptiness, realization of pristine awareness, fantastic. But until then, leading ethical way of life, and then 
almost like a string that goes through a whole bunch of pearls or, or beads on a, on, a, on a mala, on a rosary. The string connects them all, keeps them all connected. The string that can connect the day of, days of your lives so that it, it, they're coherent. They have a real continuity to them, a real direction to them. It's your motivation. Right? So whether you have three days to live, good, make really good use of those three days. You know, establish your string of bodhicitta through those three days. As much virtue as you can, an ethical way of life. Die. Nice finish. Nice finish. Even if the first, you know, 75 years of life was pretty much a waste of time, the last three days, good finish. You know, good finish. And they say, actually, the way you die, the kind of the experiences you have just prior to death, they're very, very influential. Very influential on the nature of your dying process itself, the bardo, and then what, then, then what comes next. So, motivation. They say in real estate, location, location, location. In dharma, Motivation, motivation, motivation. Right? That's what holds it all together. Provides coherence, continuity. And some real confidence that our Dharma practice can continue from lifetime to lifetime and not just get derailed, derailed by other unfinished business. If our real aspiration is, man, I want to make a million dollars, or I want to marry a supermodel, I'd like to become really... Oh, she didn't like that one. <laughs> you look at me and say, you're a supermodel. Yeah, good luck, guy. Um, you know, or I want to become famous, or I want to w win an Olympic medal, or, you know, whatever. We have all kinds of aspirations. I wish I owned my, owned my own restaurant, you know, or a Porsche. Oh, if I had a Porsche. You know, so we have many, many desires come up. Oh, I wish I had children. I wish I had, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know. So the virtue that we accumulate can actually be directed... It's like money. It's like, it's like stuff. You can invest it where you, you do invest it. It does happen. You are investing it where your aspirations are. So this old aphorism in English, be careful what you wish for, you may get it. Well, it's aspiration, aspiration, aspiration. Motivation, motivation, motivation. So we have many desires. There's no question about that. But if from our hearts, not just lip service, but from the heart, if our highest aspiration, our, most, our deepest aspiration, core aspiration, is indeed bodhicitta, then all the other aspirations become derivative or subsidiary to that. And then as we engage in virtue, whether it's activism out in the world, whether it's the virtue of raising a family with love, love and wisdom, uh, doing, you know, engaging in right livelihood, a good, meaningful livelihood, making a profit, running a business, whatever it may be, if the motivation of bodhicitta is there, then whatever virtue there is gets kind of funneled or channeled to that end. And that's a much better end than letting it go off into another rivulet and so that your, uh, your unfinished business is to become incredibly handsome or beautiful in your next lifetime. If that's what you really, really wanted. Oh, I wish I could be more beautiful, handsome, rich, wealthy, influential, famous, etc., etc. Uh, there are so many ways the virtue can go. And it will go where your, where your heart is. Right? It's a universal truth. Jesus said something like that. I can't quote, quote it right now, but Jesus said something like that. The Buddha said something exactly like that. And it is a universal truth. The virtue of your life goes where your aspirations are. Right? So, you might want to develop cognitive intelligence like that. A wisdom in terms of our desires and aspirations. And let a little 24-minute session of just breathing in, breathing out, noting the little sensations in the nostrils, which by itself can be really quite trivial, 
the same time with the motivation of bodhicitta, it's stepping firmly onto the path to perfect awakening. Why not? So let's practice. Having aroused the most meaningful motivation we can for this practice, settle the body, speech, and mind in the natural state. Again, settling your mind in its natural state entails releasing all grasping, grasping onto the future and the past, grasping onto cogitations about the present, letting your awareness rest in its own place, naturally luminous and still.
and let the light of your awareness illuminate the sensations of the passage of the breath above your upper lip or the apertures of the nostrils. Again, ever so importantly, keeping your eyes soft and relaxed, unfocused, as you direct just your mental awareness to this object of mindfulness. If you choose to count your breath, see that the count, one count at the end of each inhalation, is a brief staccato count, and between the counts, let your mind be as silent as possible, as you completely fill your awareness throughout the entire course of the in and out breath with the sensations of the breath. Let it be a full-time job. Monitor the flow of mindfulness with introspection. Apply the antidotes as before. And let's continue practicing now in silence.
Oh, Marceau. Enjoy your day. See you at 4.30.